This is the Commercial Property Show, Australia. Show number 43. You can't get ahead on wages, but you can get ahead by using the system, working for yourself using the small business tax concessions and also the depreciation allowances and offsetting that capital gain. Some of the incentives for small business are enormous. Hey, commercial property community. Thanks for joining me. I'm Andrew Bean. I'm the host of the Commercial Property Show Australia, and we have another great show for you today. I'd like to announce the birth of my second child, my little princess, Sadie Marie Bean, we look forward to guiding you and watching you grow up. Lots of love, mum and dad. Michael Philpot from Tourism Brokers joins me on this episode to talk all about the tourism sector, where it's been, where it's going, and where the hot markets are. We compare the caravan park to the motel, which one has higher yields, which one has more opportunity and the entry points to get in. This is actually just part one of this conversation because we really got into it. So there's going to be a part two coming soon after this. Final announcement before the show starts. CP data is on its way. It is coming soon. The deadline is creeping up fast. So if you want to check it out, it's www.commercial propertydata.com.au. Anyone can become a local market expert in minutes with CP Data. CP Data demystifies commercial property markets with data. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching Commercial Property Show Community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. Returning to the show is Tourism Brokers, Michael Philpot. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, Andrew. Going very well. Excellent, buddy. Great to have you on the show again. Now, the last time you were actually on was in episode seven and episode 18, and it was around this time last year. So for the listeners that didn't hear you on those episodes, could you just tell them a little bit about your background in tourism and what you've done? Certainly. We operate the two entities. One's called Management Right Sales. The other one's called Tourism Brokers. We've got offices up and down the East Coast. We've got 30-odd brokers between the two of them. With tourism brokers, we specialise in hotels, motels and caravan parks. And based upon that, we're out there doing the huskings every day. And with the COVID situation, we relocated a lot of the staff out of the various areas that have been in lockdown. 
I'm traditionally floating between Sydney and the Gold Coast. I've been up the Gold Coast for the majority of that time, but we've got local representatives on the ground throughout Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. And when it comes to management rights, when it comes to hotels and when it comes to caravan parks, because this session's on caravan parks, we're more than happy to give back to the industry and try and help people with the right structures, the right information, give them information and booklets that go through and explain it, but add back to the industry as it grows because it's all about the service industry and there's a great opportunity out there for people to actually grow and get jobs and get further advanced through coming into the industry. Yeah, perfect, mate. So what actually got you interested in the tourism sector from the start? Did you start always in tourism or were you a commercial agent prior to that? Look, I started off in residential, then I went off and did some of the projects. I had a stint within government for a while and that created some of the retail componentries around Wynyard Station, Blacktown Station, Central, Parramatta, out at Cogra and other locations. Went off to State Treasury and borrowed funds. Then I came back into the development world and worked for James Fairfax doing developments and residential subdivisions. And then I was invited to come in and specialise within the tourism sector. And I've been in it since 2005, effectively. Prior to that, we'd built a thousand odd residential lots and they did a subdivision and created a mixture of management rights and did some residential units. But this was coming back into the brokerage when tourism was created or tourism brokers were created. And from that, we've been building up a team. We own, have sold and do develop properties over and above the traditional role as an agent. That's excellent, mate. Sounds like you're very, very experienced and you've got quite a, a very long career in, in property behind you. Property's where it's all at. But, uh, <laughs> you can make some good money in this industry and if you get in the right areas and start yourself off, it's very strong and there's only one direction that you can really go. You need to be a little bit conservative. I lost my first million when I was 21, I think. But you know, we recovered from that quite quickly. You've got to learn along the way and everyone goes down and then back up again. But we're trying to avoid the pitfalls and give people the right advice. They can actually get ahead. We yeah, found perfect. that if you put money in people's pockets, they have a tendency to be loyal and come back and we do more business. So we yeah. like to share. Excellent, mate. So do you said that you guys actually buy and manage a few properties as well? Do you actually, so you own a few caravan parks and motels? Motels primarily. Sold the last one to, which is a, a to Bunnings for a big box. That's one oh. of the benefits of having some of the sites because you are land bankers over and above the traditional industry itself. But yeah, we've operated motels and caravan parks and sold uh, more than we've operated, obviously. But there's all sorts of opportunities out there. It's just a matter of identifying them, working it through and maximising the exit strategy. And there's some serious money to be made along the way. But even the small guys, we work on the basis that if someone's got 150000 or they've got access to it, then we can traditionally get them into a small business. And within a couple of years, we can take them up to having something around one and a half million dollars debt free and then growing from there. And you can't get ahead on wages, but you can get ahead by using the system, working for yourself, using the small business tax concessions that you would have covered throughout the show, and also the depreciation allowances and offsetting that capital gain. Some of the incentives for small business are enormous. Yes, during COVID, some of the risks have been quite high, but during COVID, some of the motel sectors and some of the caravan park industry have actually had booming periods. It's all about Mm -hmm. location and it's all about the business and the service. So there are exceptions, 
But when it comes to some of the commercial real estate, some of the coffee shops and some of the small guys around, they've been doing it pretty tough. Like you look yeah. at the likes of the Gold Coast. Recently during the school holidays, it had 2%, not 20%, 2% of its normal capacity come through the, yeah. the um, airport. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So yeah. with your um, motels that you operate, do you actually sell the leasehold or do you manage it like with staff yourself? We've done both. The preferred okay. option is to have the investments, in which case you've sold the business on and you've got an owner-operator there, but you can have both. And the last one we actually ran is both. It's a little bit harder, a little bit more time-consuming, and we've found that you're better off to actually get the lease in place if you're going to sell it off as a redevelopment site, well, then you'll do a deal with the tenant and share in the profits and ultimately get your approvals and that in place. Use it as the land bank. They end up with a good business and a good capital payout when they leave at the end of the day because of the project. Yeah, okay. So with the leases, a standard lease for a motel is 15 or 20 years. They normally start off at 25. We've seen some at 30, some at 35. The reason that you go for longer is, like any industry, we're dictated to by the banks. If you've only got 10 years a lease or seven years, and there, there's some really good opportunities out there, banks will not necessarily give you the right amount of money or they will want you to pay it back very quickly because they've yeah. got to look at their exit strategy. So if it's only got 10 years on it, you're not going to be able to get a 20 or 25-year principal and interest loan. But if you've got something around 20 to 25 years, then the normal loans with a lot of the banks these days will be 15, of which they'll give you the first three or four years as interest only, and then the rest of it is P&I. I've got some facilities with some banks that are still 25-year facilities in place. They are still available in the marketplace. We traditionally use interest only initially, and then we mop up the maximum amount of depreciation that we can get put in place for the property and we pay back the bank fairly quickly to build up our equity. You've got to remember that when you're dealing with commercial real estate, you've got the ability through quantity surveyors and depreciation allowances to make some massive mm. tax deductions. Yeah, I mean, one of the main differences between commercial and residential is you can depreciate pretty much everything, no matter if you're the first owner of that piece of machinery or asset. Yeah, that's right. And even the secondhand stuff. Yeah. It's a case of getting the quantity surveyor in there who's the independent and then working it through like we're doing one at the moment. It's a mid-range one. Some people might think it's expensive. Some think it's might think it's really cheap. It's a 40-room motel. We sold that for 1.75 mil. We'd expect to find in that around $1.5 million worth of depreciation. Wow. So you've got to remember that depreciation is based upon replacement value of the asset, not market value of the asset. And it will end up creating a massive capital gain when it's sold for the purchaser. But we also try and take into account the small business tax concessions. And they're fairly strong. And we're not financial advisors, don't get me wrong, but we do actually practice what we preach. But when you're getting into small business tax concessions, you can put aside $4 million fairly quickly, tax-free, after you've been in the industry for 15 years. And that takes a bit of a journey along the way to get that $4 million worth of tax liability. But there's a number of legitimate structures that you need to put in place. You can do that with commercial. 
it's quite hard to do it with residential because you just don't have the cash flow. Yeah, I definitely, I need to get someone and talk about that. You'll have to give me a good solicitor or someone or accountant that might be able to come on the show and that we can do a, a whole episode on that because it's a very, very interesting topic. No, oh, well, it's what it's all about. It's all about making yeah. money and getting ahead, but you've got to do your asset protection along the way. And if things get rocky, you don't want to lose it all. But whilst the, the sun's shining, you do want to make hay, so to speak. And yeah, that's, that's, it, that's the only way to do it and do it properly. Yeah, definitely. So, mate, tourism sector at the moment, how is it looking? It's very patchy. You've got some states that are powering. You've got WA and Queensland that have got very much the blinkers on. We don't know that there's COVID out there. And then you've got some major downturns that have happened in New South Wales and Victoria. I'm not saying that all of the states are the same. It's a market by marketplace. Like at the moment, I'm at the Gold Coast office, so a lot of the tourism properties here are doing it pretty tough because it's designed to have a lot of people from Sydney, Melbourne and overseas come in, and there's not many people there. And once you take out the Brisbane market, it's pretty bad. And that's why earlier I was saying with the airport here, they only had during school holidays, which is one of the peak periods, less than 2% of usual capacity come through the turnstiles. So then you take into account we picked up a bit of business out of Brisbane, but nowhere near enough. That means there was a hell of a lot of vacancy that was happening around. But when you look at markets within markets, having said that, the Sunshine Coast has been quite difficult to get accommodation up there. You used to be able to lease a three-bedroom waterfront unit up there for 600 bucks a night. That same property now has been getting $1,100 a night through yeah. COVID because it's been supported. The same thing applies to caravans and caravan parks generally. There's been a massive number of properties that have been purchased along the way, but with the diminishing stock that's available, with a lot of the caravan parks being converted to manufactured home estates, supply and demand's come into play. So you've got a lot of the parks that are doing extremely well. It's all about understanding what's in it for you, understanding how you operate it as a business operator and where you can add some value We've got parks that are showing as freehold parks, 23, 24% operational returns. Yeah. Then you've got leasehold parks that are showing similar sorts of levels, but normally caravan parks are down around that 10% to 12% mark. They might get up to 15% for mum and dads, but the corporates, if they've got redevelopment opportunities, so then they can get down to 4 and 5% returns because wow. they're taking into account development profit of land. It's a very varied industry. We've got to try and just focus on some of the areas that some of your listeners might be interested in. That's the whole idea of property. It's very wide. It's got some huge opportunities, but you've just got to be aware of what you're getting yourself in for and enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's right. So in terms of supply, you said that most of the stock is getting converted to the caravan parks, getting converted to manufactured home estates. When you're developing a site, do people or like the institutions, are they even bothering to develop it as in like an old style caravan park would, or do they just go straight to the manufactured home park? It all depends on where the property is located. If it's inland, then the demand won't be there for the MHEs or the manufactured home estate. If it's along the coast, you've got a lot of people that haven't got a lot of money behind them. And manufactured home estates are a very worthwhile alternative for retirees that aren't super wealthy. They might Mm -hmm. be comfortable, 
but they might elect to actually buy the manufactured home estate property. And an MHE means that you actually own the building, but you lease the land. And because you own the building, you don't actually have an asset regarded for pension purposes. It's a chattel and it's treated the same as a car. And the government will subsidise the rental that's um, paid for you living on that site, like subsidise it significantly with rental assistance. Yep. So you get the best of both worlds. And a lot of them these days have got bowling greens to libraries to swimming pools to other function areas. So it's a whole lifestyle in one. Not quite the retirement village, but it's not far off it. And then you've got other areas where the park may elect to go down and effectively be a motel and put in some short-term stay cabins. And some of the properties out there have got, you know, the biggest one that we've seen is probably up to around 150 cabins where they've got a, a motel within cabins within the property, and then they've got the park. It's yeah, all wow. about meeting the demands of the marketplace and fitting in. And a lot of the institutions will only come in when you've got a park that's turning over around $3 million. That's the sweet spot. And then go up from there. The mum and dad market is basically the starter properties that might anywhere have a turnover from $150,000 up to two or $3 million. It's just a case-by-case basis. And if they're prepared to live inland, they'll end up getting a higher return. If they want to live along the coast, then it's going to be quite difficult to get the returns, but you've got a different lifestyle. And what we're seeing now with COVID is that we're getting more and more people prepared to go inland, prepared to buy something on the high returns. They'll run it for three or four years, and then the intention is that that'll give them the cash to be able to come back and buy along the coast. It's horses for courses, but it's all about the mighty dollar. Yeah, well, I was just kind of thinking about supply because if supply is tight now for caravan parks, then I'm guessing that in future it's only going to tighten if no more traditional caravan parks are being developed as the traditional caravan park. That's kind of where I was going with that because the supply might be tightening in the yep. future. And they've got to be designed accordingly. Like you think about some of these homes on wheels, so to speak, where they're spending $250,000, $300,000 or more in the way of for the vehicle, and then they've got to park it. That will take up traditionally twice the area. Then you've got to have others that haven't got en-suites in them, so you need to provide en-suites. Then you've got others that just want the traditional camping area. So that's where caravan parks still come into play, and they're still market niches that are still there, but the majority of people that you're dealing with would be buying existing stuff as opposed to new stuff. The existing stuff is a lot easier. The new stuff is where it needs to be planned. The developers come into play. A lot of the cost is the infrastructure. Yeah. And it's the pipes and the electricity and the gas and water in the ground and what you're allowed to do with council and allowed to go into floodplain areas or green space areas and what the zonings are. It's not easy to do new developments. I think the majority of people would be looking at existing parks saying, well, okay, this is what we've got. How do we take it to the next level? And where's the upside? And that's the upsides, adjoining parcels or additional spare land on the site that they can easily put in place an extra bit of sewerage or water and then convert that into a site that's usable and do that in conjunction with council at the local level. There's still good money in that sort of stuff. But the key for the majority of people is not making it too difficult just make it easy 
and if they're good people and they're able to communicate with people, then they're able to get into the industry by starting with the business and then the rest of it they will learn along the way. And there's plenty of organisations around like us that are more than happy to help. Yeah, I'm definitely really interested in this kind of asset class because I do think that there's huge opportunity for finding that motel or caravan park that's a great business. And then also there's the adjoining part of land that you said, and you can just capitalize on it. It's just a nice little piece of something that you can use later on. You don't have to go for it straight away, but in a couple of years, you could build something on it, add value and just go from there. Absolutely. You got to remember that there's a lot of retired people out there and a lot of people with a lot of money that don't know where to park it. But because they've got a lot of money, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're prepared to do the work. They're, yeah. they're chasing the investments. So a lot of the listeners, if they're new to the industry, they'll start off with doing the work. And that's the labour componentry. You've just got to look at the situation and say, what's in it for me? You get the residence, you get the car put through the business, all your living expenses through the business, and you get the ability to live on site and provide accommodation for yourself and family members and others. And then you've got a business on the side. I was talking to one of the guys about it today. Even the living expenses alone put through the business. If you were to do it on wages, you'd need to earn somewhere in the order of 70 grand to be comparable. And that's before you start. But when it comes to businesses, a lot of those costs are covered and they're in place. And then anything you earn over and above is what you pay the bank back with and you reduce your debt with. So that's why it's pretty easy to get ahead pretty quickly. When it comes to wages, you've got no hope of getting ahead, really. It's just going from week to week or paycheck to paycheck, and you might be able to get ahead. You might, if you're lucky, be able to afford your house when you retire. But there's plenty of people that can't afford the house when they retire, especially if you've got to fork out two or $3 million for a house or a unit down in Sydney. But if you're able to work for yourself and get in place, well, then you've got the ability, as long as you do the basics, not try and take all the risks and you get rewarded for the risks, yes, but if you do the basics, then it'll be nice and safe and secure, and then you'll end up with a very good, strong dripping tap, and that tap will then build into a pool, and you'll end up with a good asset base along the way and a good lifestyle. Yeah, man, I totally agree with that. I love that. So, mate, in your opinion, what kind of asset is actually easier to operate, a motel or a caravan park? It largely depends upon the person that's doing it. Caravan parks require more on the outdoors, external living, mowers, maintenance, that sort of activity. And you'll traditionally buy them on a lower return. When you come to motels, there's a lot more concrete around, but it's all about driving the business. Whether you've got 10 rooms or whether you've got 100 rooms, there's not a great deal of difference in driving the business. Yes, it's a bigger business. But the only variable that you're talking about are consumables and cleaning services. The rest of it, you pay along the way. So big is better in both of them. But if someone wants to live in a caravan park, then they won't be living in the middle of town, close to restaurants or anything else. They'll be living on the fringe and they'll be providing a camp kitchen or they'll be providing a general kiosk, that sort of convenience. Whereas motels, you might be lucky enough to get one opposite a club or in the middle of the CBD or the external areas. If it's on the external areas, then you've got to look at food. It's a different marketplace. A lot of caravan park operators are not really interested in dealing with the public to the same extent. 
and they don't like motels and they don't like concrete. They want the open space and they can relate more to caravanners. But if you're looking at it from a business perspective, a lot of it's going to be dictated by your upbringing, by your lifestyle and what you want to achieve. There's a lot of benefits in both. But the cheapest entry point is without doubt the motels and then getting into caravan parks. But if you're able to get into a caravan park and it, it suits you, then the linkage between them both is driving the business. So if you're computer literate and you can fill space and you can get into dynamic pricing and lower tariffs to attract people in, and then as you get a higher occupancy, increase tariffs, then you're going to do quite well because a lot of people that are still in the industry today have difficulty dealing with basic computers and they have difficulty with comprehending dynamic pricing and variations throughout. There's a lot of properties out there where they still set the price in January and they don't move regardless. (laughs) And then you've got others that might set the price in January two years ago and they still don't move. It's just a matter of looking at it and looking at the niche that suits you as to where you can add value. But there's a, a shortage of people that are prepared to do the work and there's good rewards for people that are prepared to do the work. I had a look at this today, actually, where I was trying to figure out how easy it would be for your average punter who's looking at an asset to figure out where in the tariff is, the rent for the night, is in the range of scale or in kind of in that location. And you just type in like motel, say, like in Newcastle, and then actually on the screen, it comes up like a little pop screen where it shows you all the dollar amounts on the map. So it's really quite easy to figure out where your potential asset that you want to buy is in the range of the accepted or perceived, you know, rent in that market. It actually looks like it actually is quite easy to figure that out. It's, it's an incredibly easy process, Andrew, but we're a different vintage. You've got to remember <laughs> that a lot of these operators don't like computers and don't like surfing on the web and don't understand a lot of the capabilities of the tools that are there. And that's where there's massive opportunities for people to add value along the way. And simple things like you've done help you. But the vast majority of people don't have to worry about the processes because they will learn the processes because you're buying existing businesses. And existing businesses have got existing systems and that in place. And they are traditionally very conservative systems. So even a simple initiative like you've put in place then or suggested then that gives you an overview that combined with dynamic pricing and a decent website can probably grow these things 20% very quickly. And that's 20% profit. So that's not a bad way of doing it. It's just a matter of understanding it and having the mindset that you do want to take it to the next level. Yeah, well, that was one of my other questions is, so the operators, they just choose their price just from the sky and then they might not change it ever again and i mean i'm just trying to think so you could potentially change the price at any time at any like minute to suit the supply and demand is that correct yep the really good operators run their systems and run them well yeah they will drive their tariff based upon the occupancy levels yeah and if they're not getting people in then they will lower it so that they do get people in but once they reach a certain level well then it's no longer wanting to cover costs it's all about the profit So they'll start to tweak it. And then you start to get into package deals of stay two nights, get the third night free or get a discount or 
stay for a week, stay for six months, stay for 12 years. There's all sorts of things within the industry that people work to where they can add some value. Yeah, I think it all comes down to kind of a retail perspective of you're trying to increase that dollar amount of that shopping cart on online. So if they're just going to come in and say buy one room for one night, you want to try and increase them to two rooms to three rooms and just increase that dollar value. And if you keep on doing that over a long period of time throughout the whole year, then I really do believe that it is quite easy to add value to these types of assets like that. Absolutely. And then the next one is that once you've had the customer come in, you try and get the return business and you look yep. after the return business because you're not losing the 12 to 15% to bookings.com and some of the, the overseas agents that are involved. All of a sudden, they're coming to see you. And if you're used to computers and you use a CRM or within your booking system, you've got the ability to have notes. You can say that Andrew likes to stay in Unit 12, okay? If Unit 12 is available, then you'll organise for Andrew to put him in there. If you've got a restaurant or you've got other services there, you'll record what your preferred meal might be, in which case you'll offer that as part of the process. Those sorts of things that win people over because people don't care about anyone unless they know how much and you show that you care. It's got to be a reciprocal two-way street. But once you get there and once you do the basics, then you can really blossom. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like creative kind of ways that you could definitely drive revenue. Like if you can slightly like figure out when their birthday is, you could even send them some kind of a gift card or something on their birthday just to create that rapport. And I think it's quite creative how you can build these relationships. And property is all about relationships. Absolutely but they're not rocket blowing or mind blowing things. They are basic systems. And most of the people in the industry don't do them. And that's why they're so well rewarded when you do do them. It's all about service. A lot of people come in and we love the ones that come in, they buy it and then three years they want to sell it and then they go to the next one and then another three years you want to sell it. And that's the one that we encourage people to get to. But when you get people that have come in and they've bought it or they've inherited it and they might have been there for 10 years, they become stale. They don't look outside the square. They don't worry about the presentation. And that's really a huge opportunity for anyone that's coming into the industry as to where you can add value. But the rest of them, it's all about using the small business concessions and depreciation. Like the depreciation and the small business concessions are absolutely massive. And that's what most people don't understand. Like it's a free Mm. kick to actually get ahead when it comes to this industry. And that's the beauty of commercial. Yeah, that's right. So, mate, how do the star ratings work? I noticed on this website, I think it's accommodation.com or something, you can just search via star rating and stuff and you can do high and low and things like that. How does the, I think it's an accreditation, isn't it? The star rating. Yeah, the star rating system was originally put in place by all the motor vehicle booking like system that they put in place, like RACQ, RACV, NRMA, their own accommodation measurement module, which was the star rating system. And they were the ones that allocated the two star, three star, four star, five star. And then people started to drift away. They came up with four diamond, five diamond, or four banana, five banana, whatever you (laughs) like to call it. That's been superseded to a large extent because that section closed down. They're back in there now doing the star ratings. But when people do the Google ratings and the guest ratings and from the guest experience, 
they're the ones that really matter these days. So it's all about the return business and the guest comments. But originally when it started, a four-star is it comes back to the level of service. It comes back to the hours that they're open, whether or not they've got restaurant available, those sorts of componentries. But it's about where you can actually add value along the way. And adding value and adding that experience is the part that matters. A three-star is pretty basic accommodation. A two-star is pretty ordinary, very old. In a lot of instances, not overly clean. But three to four-star, that's the majority of the properties in the marketplace. Fair enough. All right, so if I say I purchased a motel and it was three-star, how do I get it upgraded? You would initially start on one room and you're better off to do one room first as opposed to try and do all the rooms at the same time because you've only got limited resources. And the same thing applies to caravan parks and the cabins. You'd fit it out well. You'd paint it. You'd clean it. It'd be fresh. It'd have a nice set of sheets in there. The bed would be in good condition. The bed wouldn't have bumps. And when you looked at it, it wouldn't have a U-shape in the middle of it. It'd be a good quality thing. What you've got to remember is that some people lose sight of what you're ultimately trying to provide, which is guest experience. Yeah. And because you're in the commercial area, you've got the ability to buy a lot of items on commercial terms at commercial rates. Like a $1,000 top quality bed from a commercial side is probably the equivalent of a $3,000 bed at a retail store, to give you an idea. Okay. But the level of sleep and the level of comfort for your guest is enormous. And you start with ultimately what are you selling? You're selling sleep. So you need a really good bed. You need a clean bed. Then they need a really good shower. But they also need a really clean unit. And then after you've got had the really good bed and the really good shower, then you might worry about the furnishings of the unit and the painting and the internal appearance of the unit and how it comes across. And then you might worry about the externals. Ultimately, when we do our seminars, and we do them, just takes time within the industry, we suggest to people that you start at the front and then work your way back. And if you do one or two rooms, they become your superior rooms or your superior units. And they're the ones that you charge extra for to get in there. And you then work your way through. And traditionally, if you were going to do a major upgrade, you'd start with the worst unit that you've got and turn it into the best unit, and that will instantly increase your tariff and instantly increase your occupancy level of that property and then work your way through it based upon the cash flow that you're generating from the other businesses. This is a really good sector where from day one, you're getting money in the door. So from day one, you're not going out to borrow additional funds. Once you've settled on it, you've got guests that are coming through. So out of your cash flow, you can do these upgrades. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And so with like the star rating, so say I had a three-star motel, I can charge the tariff anything I want, right? It doesn't have to be within a range of a three-star range, does it? There's no crazy thing like that, is there? It's called competition. You can charge whatever you like, and if you can get it, well, good luck to you. But ultimately, the measures, when your guests are looking, if they're not familiar with your product, then they will say, well, okay, this is the standard of property that I want. And that standard dictates that I want to stay in a four-star property. I'm not prepared to stay in a three-star property. But there's plenty of three-star rated properties that have taken the star rating away 
and they're using via the websites and via the online mediums, the photographs and the details and showing that they've got a really quality offering that makes the guest satisfaction superior. And provided you've got access to food, provided you've got a good guest experience, then you'll get a higher tariff. And the measures that you drive is that obviously you look at your competitors initially, but once you get to 70%, if you're going up to 70% in the way of occupancy, it's too cheap. And as soon as you go past 70% occupancy, you're far too cheap. You need to remember that you've got an asset that will wear out, so you've got to pay for it. So the normal rule of thumb that we suggest to people is that at 70%, we put your tariff up. And then you look at the dynamic pricing and you look at the areas where you can add value and add services without a great deal of cost. And then you put your prices up for those and you add on. And we're coming out of COVID now, and there's going to be a record period when it comes to the tourism industry and the tourism sector, because we've seen that already happen as soon as the lockdown's eased. And there's a lot of businesses out there that, despite the lockdown, have done quite well. And this is primarily caravan parks in country locations because people are wanting to get away from the city. Yes, the metropolitan areas are doing it tough because you don't have your international tourists and the like, but talking about caravan parks per se, they're the ones that are growing. And if you're in a position to provide the service, you will get the rewards. Yeah, I definitely think the rewards are there to be taken as well. So, I mean, I totally agree with you that I think the tourism sector is going to go through this mini like boom because myself, I'd love to get out of Sydney right now and just hit the road and go somewhere else. Being in lockdown for 11, 12 weeks, it's getting a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I feel um, for you. And you know, that's <laughs> multiplied when it comes to Melbourne. And that's why the exodus is going to be on. And people are going to be reluctant to travel overseas. So yeah. it's good that we've still got people within Australia wanting to travel but we do need the international borders to open. That's going to be the question as to when. And then it'll be on for young and old. Like we've already seen some properties that the likes of Port Douglas, Port Douglas is going through a mini boom at the moment and it hasn't really been in a mini boom since the likes of Christopher Scase and Bond and the guy that died recently, Elliot, when they were in the property market and they were serious contenders creating all the new developments. That's the sort of era that we're going back to in some of these locations, and it's mind-blowing. Yeah. So, mate, on future bookings, I know some people are a little bit hesitant to book in reservations too early because of this whole refund or no refund drama. What's your opinion on that? Look, it depends on each property's policy. Certainly, when it comes to the short-term stays and the Airbnbs, they did a fair bit of harm because there was no clear refunds policy and a lot of the Airbnb industry didn't refund a lot of the people that made the bookings. When it comes to moteliers and the motel industries generally and the caravan park industry, they're more accustomed to dealing with refunds and more accustomed to dealing with the business and they take the long-term view. So a lot of them gave credits if there were costs in place or they gave refunds But that's where travel insurance comes into play as well, depending upon the area. But traditionally, and we've seen the vast majority of the industry actually give refunds. The ones that haven't have been the international groups or the international tours or where 
costs have actually been incurred along the way, getting bookings and the like. It's not necessarily the property that you're dealing with, but if you're putting in place tours and other items, well, then they may have pre-booked in preparation for your booking those tours and other bits and pieces, and they may be the parties that have not refunded the other parties. So mm. it's part of the food chain event. It all depends on where you're going, what you're doing, if you're dealing with travel agents or not, if you've got insurance or not. But if you're dealing with most mum and dads and you're dealing with basic caravan, park or motel accommodation, the majority of them did get the refunds through. Yeah, I would think it'd be better just to possibly just give a refund or even better just to say, well, do you want to change the date? We still want you to come. Just we want you to come whenever we can. Absolutely. And a lot of the ones did give credits. And that's brilliant for small business. That's brilliant for any business. But at the same time, there's a lot of others out there that weren't able to reorganise the bookings. And this is for people that have organised stuff 12 months in advance. You've got the vast majority of people out there that if they're lucky, they get four weeks annual leave. And then they've got to do the shuffle and everything else. And there's a lot of families that don't go on holidays every year. And then you've got others that go on holidays a lot. It all depends on where they're at. But the vast majority were refunded or given a credit as part of that package. Yeah, fair enough. So, mate, where can listeners go to find out more about yourself and obviously your company? We've got two sites. We've got www.tourismbrokers.com.au. And if you're wanting more along the coast, we've got www.mrsales.com.au. So it's Tourism Brokers or MR Sales. Mr. Sales is management rights along the coast and Tourism Brokers are the hotels, motels, caravan parks and redevelopment sites Australia-wide. Perfect, mate. My guest today has been Michael Philpot. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, mate. Take care. Enjoy. We have now made available a pre-registration for CP Data. So if you'd like to jump in early and get a special discount of $20 a month, that equates to $240 saving per year, you can jump in early now and sign up. But if you don't want to, you want to wait, that's fine too. And it's only going to be available before the platform goes live. You can jump in and get that saving. Go to www.commercialpropertydata.com.au. This offer is only going to be available before the platform goes live. And we're expecting the platform to go live in the next 20 to 50 days. So we're not exactly sure when it's going to be released. So jump in now if you want to. But if you don't want to, you can just pay full price when the platform goes live. It's $89 a month when the platform goes live. But now you can secure your membership at $69 a month. That's a $240 saving per year. And the platform also comes with a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. So after the platform goes live, in the first 30 days, if you're not 100% happy, then I'm not happy and I don't want to keep your money. So if you are not happy after the first 30 days of the platform going live, simply send me an email saying, I want to be refunded and I will happily give you a refund. And so there is absolutely no risk on your part of losing your money. And this is how confident I am. This platform is going to be absolutely amazing. Everyone is gonna love it because it's gonna be so helpful and useful and make commercial property investing that much easier. So 100% money back 
guarantee after the first 30 days of the platform going live, no questions asked and absolutely no risk of losing your money. So if you do want to take up this special discounted offer, go to www.commercialpropertydata.com.au. That brings us to the end of this show. Thank you so much to Michael Philpot for the interview. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music. Remember to check out CP Data and remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, you have to develop yourself first before you can develop anything else. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.